0: Chapter Eleven of Sophloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Neela, Iowa City, Iowa. Sophloya by Charlotte Dacre. Chapter Eleven. Berenza became daily more attached to Victoria. His scrupulous doubts, his reserves wholly vanished, and fondly he flattered himself that he was as much the possessor of her dearest affections as she was the mistress over his. Still, though his love for her was carried in some respects to a romantic height, his pride forbade him to marry her. There was a certain stigma in his idea attached to her, through the misconduct of her mother, which it was impossible for his delicate mind to overlook." Of this sentiment, however, the haughty Victoria was unconscious, and she simply imagined that her present union with the Comte was chosen by him expressly for the purpose of convincing her that his devotion towards her needed not the aid of artificial ties to rivet it. Under this impression, her vain spirit was flattered, and little did she ever suppose that while the proud Venetian deemed her worthy of becoming his mistress, he conceived her unfit for the high distinction of becoming his wife. It was one beautiful evening that, accompanied by the admired Victoria, Berenza and his splendid gondola, mixed with the gay concourse upon the laguna, everyone appeared exhilarated, and Victoria, gazing around, felt in the moment that she excited the admiration so dear to her soul that she required nothing more in the power of man to bestow while her eyes still wandered exacting attention from all a gondola passed close by that of berenza's it contained only one female besides the gondolieri, who in the moment of rapidly passing fixed her eyes upon victoria with a rage and malignity so exquisitely bitter that it was impossible momentary as was the glance but its expression could be mistaken for an instant victoria was awakened from her dream of vanity she looked at berenza but perceiving from the unaltered expression of his countenance that he had not observed the circumstance she thought it too insignificant to advert to and other objects soon made her forget it altogether at length they returned home and the evening was concluded with a convivial party and a dance, to which many were invited but had not been present during the early part of the evening. At a late hour the company separated, and Victoria and the Comte retired to repose. Victoria, however, felt no inclination to sleep. The festive scenes of the evening passed in mirthful review before her. The music sounded in her ears, and the dancers still figured in her sight. She skimmed over in her mind the adulation, the elegant and well turned compliments she had received, and in idea again she enjoyed and smiled at them. Then she reverted to her evening's amusement on the Laguna, and on reverting to that, she suddenly remembered the look she had received from the female who had passed so swiftly by. She was on the point of mentioning to the count the circumstance, but perceiving that overcome by wine and the fatigue of the evening he slept she would not awaken him and pursued the diversified current of her ideas still however she could not lose the remembrance of this malignant glance and was embarrassing herself in vain conjectures as to the cause which should induce any one to view her with particular rancour when a gentle rustling at the further end of the chamber caught her attention this interrupted her thoughts and called them to external objects. The bed on which she lay was surmounted by a superb canopy. The curtains were drawn on each side, but remained open to the foot. The rustling increased. She fixed her eyes on the opposite side of the room, where a large window jutted out and opened into a balcony on the outside. The window itself was concealed by a thick curtain by degrees this curtain was moved a little on one side half the figure of a man became visible and presently the whole the chamber was faintly enlightened by a lamp and she observed as softly though with long strides the figure approached that his face was concealed by a mask at length he reached the side of the bed at which the conch slept and gently divided the curtains Victoria firmly now believed some evil was intended, yet feared to awaken Berenza, lest his surprise and alarm, by depriving him of the requisite presence of mind, should hasten any attempt against him, which she hoped herself, by being awake and remaining tranquil, to circumvent. The intruder now stood at the side of the bed, and paused, then stooping down, he examined earnestly the face of the count the countenance of victoria he could not see for her arm was thrown over her head in such a manner that her hand concealed her eyes Though she could observe all that passed and the lower part of her face was shaded by the covering the stranger however appeared to imagine that she slept appeared to imagine that she slept drawing a dagger from his bosom he waved it to and fro near the closed eyes of the unconscious berenza then gently uncovering his bosom approached the point of the dagger towards it his hand appeared to tremble he stifled a sigh and retreated a few steps then again he drew nearer with his left hand he held back the curtain and raising his right as if with sudden resolution he prepared to strike just as the dagger was descending, the undaunted and watchful Victoria caught his wrist. The force of the intended blow being thus broken, the assassin, who was in an inclining attitude, lost his equilibrium, and falling across the bed, the point of the dagger entered the shoulder of Victoria. At this instant the Count awakened. His first impulse was to seize the man, but he struggled violently and berenza being unable to obtain a firm hold shackled as he was by the weight of his body which lay across him he contrived swiftly to disengage himself as he did so he could not however prevent his mask from falling off he sought to recover it and rush from the spot but ere he could achieve his purpose the eyes of the wounded and fainting victoria were riveted upon a countenance that memory immediately identified for her brother that brother who on the desertion of his mother from her home had fled the paternal roof and now was recognized as an intended murderer monstrous assassin she feebly exclaimed while leonardo with horror depicted in his countenance fled across the apartment and gaining the window appeared to precipitate himself from it Berenza, now released, started from the bed, but as he was flying after the assassin, a faint groan from Victoria arrested him. He turned and beheld the bedclothes dyed in blood. The sight distracted him. You are wounded, my life, he frantically exclaimed. Only slightly, like me, my lord, murmured Victoria, but I do, I do not regret it. Berenza, in agony, reciferated for assistance. He dispatched the servants fifty different ways for medical aid. Then, taking Victoria in his arms, he examined the wound, while the big tears of love and anguish fell upon her bosom. "'Ah, do not weep, Berenza,' faintly ejaculated Victoria. "'I would suffer ten thousand times more to prove my love to thee. Nay, I rejoice to prove it.' and in fact Victoria did rejoice, for she felt that the wound obtained in defense of her lover's life, and of which her firm mind entertained no apprehensions, would bind him inseparably to her, the triumph she experienced then, when she beheld his violent anguish, more than repaid her for the pain she felt. She essayed to take his hand and press it to her bosom, but all her firmness all her contempt of pain could not conquer the weakness of nature and she fainted from loss of blood the count was half mad the medical men arrived they dressed the wound they announced that it was not dangerous and that repose and quiet would in all probability avert the appearance of fever by degrees she recovered from her temporary insensibility the comte seated himself by her bedside, and gazed in agony upon her. She turned her eyes upon him, the brilliancy of which had given place to a seducing languor, that penetrated Berenza's inmost soul, and in his mind he vowed that his whole life henceforth should be dedicated to her happiness. He now felt that she was dearer, far dearer to him, than he had ever imagined on the noble and enthusiastic soul of berenza the conduct of victoria had wrought the most powerful effect such cool intrepidity such contempt of her own life in the defence of his the patience nay the pleasure with which she bore the unhappy consequences of her courage what woman in existence thought he would have done thus much for me these reflections swelled his heart with a love almost idolatrous and his violent feeling sought relief in an irrepressible gush of tears victoria determined carefully to conceal from her lover her conviction that the intended assassin was her brother a certain indefinable feeling prevented her from confessing her knowledge and she was fain to rejoice in his escape but of his motives for an attempt so heinous she could not form the smallest idea as for borenza he merely concluded that he was some daring and determined robber who might easily have obtained an entrance into the house during the careless festivity that had generally prevailed during the evening but respecting a circumstance that he now deemed immaterial he gave himself but little concern his whole thoughts were concentrated in victoria and he looked forward with impatient anxiety to the much-desired period of her recovery. Scarcely could he be prevailed on to quit her bedside, even to obtain necessary repose, and what little food he could be induced to take was taken without stirring from her chamber. In a few days, however, to reward such unwearied anxiety, Victoria was enabled to leave her bed, and by marks of attachment, apparently more strong than ever, repaid the care and tenderness of her lover. Raised by her seducing manners to a pitch of enthusiasm, Berenza sometimes wavered in his pride and almost determined that he would make her his wife the moment that her re-established health should permit him to do so. One day, while sitting with her in her apartment, a fortnight having nearly elapsed since the accident which had confined her there, a letter was delivered by a servant into his hands opening it he read as follows wretch by the time you receive this i shall be far from pursuit. if such your meanness or your revenge should lead you to attempt know that it was i who directed to your faithless and unworthy breast that hand which failed in executing its office it was i who intended and who hoped that the accursed stiletto which erred in its duty should have found a bloody sheath in the recesses of your heart. Yes, miscreant, it was Megalina who beheld on you. Yes, miscreant, it was Megalina who beheld you on the laguna, accompanied by the minion, whose temerity robbed her of your love. Oh, and if a look could kill, mine should have blasted her to the earth. What durst you openly exhibit your novelty, and believe that your audacity should remain unpunished? Did you not know me? You should have carefully guarded your late-found gem. You should not have suffered her to sparkle in the light of day, in the eyes of strozzi But she, and even you, for the present have eluded my vengeance. Yet, ah, my heart beats, it revives in the faint hope that she perhaps may not have escaped. If it be not so, nothing shall bind me to life but the dearly cherished hope that the time will yet arrive when no barrier shall intercept the blow I would aim at your life. No, not even the hated form of your newly acquired love. Couldst thou indeed hope, fond fool, "'that with impunity thou mightest despise the passion "'and insult the feelings of Magdalena Strazi, "'Vile and abandoned, wanton!' exclaimed Berenza. "'Is it then even so? "'And is it to thee and to thy absurd and insolent jealousy "'that I am to attribute my present misfortune?' "'But it is well,' he continued, "'the worthless fury will molest us no more. "'She has left Venice.' as he concluded he gave the letter to victoria who after hastily perusing it exclaimed that look that look then which so strongly impressed my mind is now accounted for it was megalina strozzi who would have blasted me to the earth then turning towards Berenza, she explained to him the circumstance to which she alluded and which at the moment of its occurrence, so forcibly called her attention, nay, had even employed her thoughts, just before the projected attempt upon his life took place. While she spoke, Berenza did indeed recognize the vindictive Florentine, but anxiously, though silently, did Victoria ransack her brain to discover what connection could possibly subsist between this female and her brother a connection evidently of no slight nature that could already so deeply have influenced his character and conduct as to drive him to the intended commission of murder, to the very brink of destruction for her sake, recurring frequently to vain surmises upon the subject and rapidly recovering from the effects of her wound. For the present, let us leave her to explain certain events which will carry us back to an earlier period of this history. End of chapter 11